Hello, and welcome to the King James Gossip, Fan Sided's Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. I'm Doug Patrick, and on the other line is Joe Brett. How you doing, Joe? I'm good. I'm a little stressed. I'm leaving for Ecuador in two days, but I'm doing good. Yeah, but you're still keeping it real. And yeah. uh, we still have not mentioned this on a recorded pod, but we both have first names like Ricky Bobby. So it's kind of like a marriage made in heaven. Oh, yeah. Perfect. I mean, Joe Brett, every single person that I've ever met mentions it. Oh, same here. See, we have the same experience, <laughs> but let's, uh, let's run down the show, Joe. On today's pod, we're going to be talking about our site expert Nathan Beagle's article um, about which players should be traded from the Cavs, as well as we're going to zip around the league and we're going to be discussing over-unders for the league as a whole. So do you want to get started on Nathan's article? For sure. So Nathan ranked the five most likely players to be traded from the Cavs. Uh, In it, he has J.R. Smith, number five. Number four is Rodney Hood. Number three is George Hill. Number two is Tristan Thompson. And number one is Kyle Korver. Uh, with the number one option, I have I have a bit of a bone to pick with our expert. Um, <laughs> he better catch these hands. But I, I just really I really disagree with that Korver take. Me and you have talked a little bit about this already before. Just the value of Korver as a player coach. Yeah. And while player coaches' effects can certainly be overstated, um, as I think they usually are. I think Korver might honestly be the exception. Most player coaches aren't legendary shooters in the league. They haven't already shown an ability to help players. I mean, Korver helped both LeBron and Tristan Thompson with their free throws um, in the Mm -hmm. 2017 season. And I I just think at 37 years old and as a player who's constantly criticized for not being the most athletic player or even the best defender – he really does give it his all on both sides of the ball. I mean, Tyron Lue has even commented. I remember after the uh, the Indiana series, him talking about Corver taking charges against Oladipo, going after loose balls. I mean, Corver really does put his body on the line, and I think that means a lot to a young team that needs a good culture around them, especially a team like the Cavs, who were just horrid on defense last season. Yeah, I think there's um, there's this general persona about Kyle Corver that when talking about his defense – People say, oh, he's always in the right spot. I think it's more than that. I think he's a generally good defender. And obviously, he's not as athletic as the most elite defenders in the NBA. But he's got moderately quick hands. He knows what he's doing. And he's in the right spot. And he tries really hard. And generally, when you're talking about the NBA, that's all you can really ask for when you're putting up numbers on the offensive side of the ball also. I agree. And and I just think we have such a team that almost all of them seem to want to learn how to shoot. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got you've got Colin Sexton, who one of the biggest knocks on him is that he's not the best outside shooter. You got Chetty Osman, who's already shooting around 36.5% from three, and his free throws are kind of wacky because he's only shooting around 56.5%, mm-hmm. which doesn't, you know, that doesn't necessarily make a ton of sense. I think with some training from Corver, he could be he could really blossom into a, a really efficient shooter. And Sam Decker had that one that first year in Houston that he played, he shot pretty well from three, too. I, I really think Sam Decker could turn into a shooter in the corner. Um, definitely not the sort of level that, uh, you know, JR is or or Corver is himself. But I, I could definitely see Decker getting to that 34, 35% mark. And, and I think if he does that, it really opens up his game. Yeah. And then you have David Nwaba also. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I totally forgot about him. I think he's such a player that could be open to so many different sorts of play styles just yeah. because he is so long. He's so athletic. I, I re- I'm a big fan of Nawaba. Yeah, also I think um, we also have Channing Fry on the roster. 
So together, the two of them are just awesome player coaches. And so it'll be interesting to see whether or not they value both of those or they move away from Korver. Obviously, he can still help a team. And I think that's one of the um, reasons we might trade him because he's a guy that can go into a team that's making a championship push, add to their three-point shooting, add to their professionalism, and be that player coach also for a team that's going to the championship. And so I think that's one way we could trade him, trade him to a contender, get back a first-round pick. I could see it happening. Yeah, I, he's definitely the most attractive trade asset that the Cavs have right now and like the most tradable one that we would that we would be interested in trading I I do really want to keep Corver but I guess if you told me I could get rid of Corver if I had if I could attach him to someone like J.R. Smith who who I I really do want to get rid of I, I might be more inclined to take that deal but I think just sending Corver away for a heavily protected first round pick is is not the smart decision I, I because I don't think you're going to get a anything more than a lottery protected first round pick and then if you're only getting you know the 20th 25th pick in the draft is it really worth getting rid of Corver who can do so much for your their young core you know Larry Nance Jr. also wants to learn how to shoot yeah so I, I just I really think it's, it's worthwhile keeping him if if you're not getting rid of JR along with him or if you're not getting rid of Tristan Thompson along with him I think it makes sense to trade Kyle with JR because that they're both they both give value to the franchise that's getting them it's a, and it's a great shooting tandem too but combining him with tristan for example i think the team that is giving us might give us a bad contract back because tristan isn't necessarily seen as a plus because of his contract sure he might be seen as a negative to the team that's trading for him and so i could see by putting kyle and tristan together you kind of negate that and I don't necessarily see the rush in trading Tristan because contracts are contracts like you're gonna you're gonna have a bad contract on your team and by um getting rid of one of our assets such, such as Kyle Culver to trade a bad asset I don't necessarily see the positives of doing that I, I think that's super fair I also just wanted to touch on the George Hill idea too from Nathan's article. I, I do think Nathan's right that it would be smart to get rid of George Hill. He's definitely not going to be in the future plans at all. He's still getting paid a lot from that Sacramento deal, which was one of the goofiest things ever last season, which really does yeah. get brushed over. He got paid like like $20 million a year, which is crazy for George Hill. He's, he's 31, 32 right now. He got now. paid, man. <laughs> He did. I mean, he was shooting so well from the outside in Sacramento. It almost <laughs> seemed to make sense for a second. Uh, he came back to earth, though, in Cleveland. But I, I just I don't necessarily see them trading Hill, especially not this season. He, I mean, it's only this year that's guaranteed. And, like, what do you really have to lose by keeping him? I, I, think, I think he's a decent enough rotational player that will help Sexton learn how to play point guard. And, you know, once Sexton is ready to take the reins, which I, I really think he will be around midseason, and I hope George Hill takes that sort of Tony Parker-type role where he's okay letting the younger guy start over him. And that's my ideal situation. I don't know Hill as a person. Maybe he's not okay with that. But I, I just I think that's a way healthier team than one who shoves Sexton out there, trades Hill, and has someone like Isaiah Taylor backing him up. Or, in my opinion, even worse option is having Jordan Clarkson back him up as the primary ball handler. I think there's definitely a situation where, at some point this season, there's going to be situations where Colin Sexton starts, has a rookie game, plays terribly, and you just don't want him out there. Yeah. You just want to be able to take him out and say, look, Rook, sit down, 
obviously this isn't your game. Um, we don't necessarily want you to go out there and play terribly because that can affect his confidence. And as we've seen from Markel Fultz last year, confidence can really affect a player. And so I think you need a you need a guy like George Hill that can come in and just play good, solid minutes. So I could definitely see that. I don't necessarily want them to trade George Hill either. He's a good player. And hey, I'm okay with him riding out his contract in Cleveland. I kind of am too, which I, I didn't think I would be that kind of person, but I just sort of am. I, I like Hill for the most part. Mm-hmm. I, I like the 19 mil this year and the 18 million the next year is steep. I would love for them to try to get rid of him the next season, especially after seeing what we have in him alongside Sexton. Mm-hmm. But I think getting rid of him prematurely now without seeing a full season with him as the veteran guard with the rookie is. I think it would be um, just not an intelligent decision to make. Yeah, and I think also the thing we are talking about with Kyle Korver being a player coach, George Hill doesn't necessarily play offense the same way that Colin Sexton does, but he plays really good man-to-man on-ball defense. And so he can definitely teach Colin Sexton how to how to play that little general type role on the defensive side of the ball. I think that's something that has been starting to get overlooked about Hill's game is that he really is a decent defender. And even if he is losing some speed and some athleticism, he still knows how to do it. You know, he learned before Mm -hmm. and he was effective at it, especially uh, when he was with the Pacers. Yeah. So I, I do think he's still got that sort of, he still knows the mechanics to it, even if he's not necessarily able to do it against the league's elite guards anymore. So the next guy on the list is Rodney Hood. He's number four on Nathan's list. Yeah, so I I could see maybe Rodney Hood, if they do end up signing him, which I think they definitely will, it's just dependent on how many years. Mm -hmm. I think if they could sign him and if there's any interest in him, I I could see maybe a Corver-Hood deal to Phoenix. Okay. Because I think Phoenix definitely needs some outside shooting. You know, they were dead last in three-point percentage last year. They just drafted DeAndre Ayton. Everybody says the NBA spacing is going to help him. If they don't have spacers, Ayton is not going to be good. He's not going to develop. It's going to hurt his confidence. And I think when big guys get unconfident, it becomes very obvious to see. They start lumbering down the floor because they have the most weight to take 94 feet every time. Mm -hmm. And I think if you could send Corver and Hood to Phoenix for someone like TJ Warren, that could be a, a really nice deal. I think Hood and Warren have similar games. Warren is only 24 years old. He's getting he has a four-year contract already in place for 47 million guaranteed throughout those four years. So it's not a bad contract. It's about 11.5 million per year. I, and I like Warren. I, I think he can really turn into something good, especially from that mid-range. If he got a three-point shot, I'd love him. Even, I'd love him even more. Mm-hmm. But he's a great scorer. Yeah. So that's the thing I'm looking at about Warren. He's a good scorer. I just love him to have that three-point shot. If he gets that three-point shot, he's actually properly good in this league. Agreed. And I think the thing about Rodney Hood is I don't think he wants to play in Cleveland long-term. He's made that clear through this contract negotiation. If he did want to be in Cleveland long-term, he would have signed that contract a long time ago. So I think the issue is that what you want to create value. So you want him to play this year to show the rest of the league that he can be a star and then trade him. That's like my ideal plan. Get Rodney Hood to have value and then trade him. I feel the exact same way about someone like Jordan Clarkson too. Yeah, Mm -hmm, definitely. I I also don't think any contender would touch Jordan Clarkson. (laughs) I agree. I think he made that clear with his postseason debut. Yeah, you can give him to 
to a team like Atlanta or Orlando or the Nets or somewhere like that. For sure. Probably not the Nets because D'Angelo Russell's there. But, <laughs> but yeah, I could definitely see him going to a lower team and just getting buckets. I mean, that's what he does. He gets buckets. For sure. Well, that's all we really had to say about the trades. Definitely check out Nathan's article on King James Gospel. It's called top, uh, Ranking the Top 5 Players Most Likely to be Traded on the Cavs. He's a great, great writer, uh, even if I have some bones to pick with him every now and again. <laughs> Those guys go at it in the group chat. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's move on to just some questions around the league and talking about over-unders and things like that. The, the big thing that I saw when we were talking about over-unders is that Boston is only at 57.5. I would definitely take the over on that. That team is going to be pretty good if not the third best team in the league they're going to be very very close their team is just full of guys who fit they're switchy we saw in the playoffs this year they're a really good team and terry rogier cleveland native from shaker heights ohio he's really good also and we saw that he can come in and fit for Kyrie when he's not there so i don't think that a Kyrie injury is necessarily as bad as some people think it is yeah, I think that is where we, we kind of disagree. Is I, I, I think Boston, for sure, if everyone's healthy, all 82 games, they're a 65-ish win team. I, I just worry about Kyrie missing time. And you do make a good point about Terry Rozier. When, when Rozier is playing starter minutes, he's, he's better mm-hmm. than the backup role, at least for now. Yeah, I saw that guy in high school, and I can promise you that he was the most unbelievable high school athlete I've ever seen. It's crazy. <laughs> I couldn't even imagine. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, I just think I think Kyrie's going to get hurt. I think Gordon Hayward is going to be the same player he's been, but I think it's going to take him a little bit. I think it's just going to take him a couple reps. I mean, I could see it him taking you know fifteen ish, twenty ish games just to get his legs back under him. And then Al Horford's getting older. He's such an important cog in that team. Granted, with Kyrie and Hayward there, he's going to have a lot less offensive responsibility, and he can just kind of be that very smart defensive anchor. That's where Horford's most valuable. It's on the defensive end. And then just all of his offense is just icing on the cake. I'm really high on Horford. I think he's still a great player. But like I said, another year older, you don't know what to expect out of him. So I actually would take the under on the 57.5 only because of the injury worries. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see if Jason Tatum hits that sophomore slump. It'll also be interesting to see if... Jalen Brown is is better, too. Yeah, see, I think although Robert Williams had some issues in summer league as well as missing meetings and <laughs> losing his wallet. And missing his missing alarm. Missing his alarm, missing flights. I really do truthfully believe he's going to be a good player. I think so, If too. he can just figure his stuff out, he'll be good. And then, even though I'm high on Boston as a whole, I've never really liked Al Horford. I don't like bigs who don't rebound. And he's shown that he rebounds like a small forward. So <laughs> I, I just think he's so valuable on the defensive end, but I, I definitely understand what you're saying there. You know, granted, they, they do have someone like Aaron Baines, mm-hmm. or at least they did last year, to clean up the glass for him. And Baines is a really big body, and I think them as like twin towers out there occasionally is yeah, is a really, really hardcore defensive lineup on top of Aaron Baines also being able to hit that mid-range shot. Yeah, definitely. And I think out of all the teams in the NBA, the Celtics are probably the best fit for Al Horford because there's so many big switchy bodies out there that they can grab boards themselves and run. Plus him just being such an intelligent player. I'm going to bow down to the Brad Stevens gospel, but him just playing <laughs> with Brad Stevens is, is also kind of a match made in heaven. Oh, yeah, most definitely. 
So I think we should also talk about... So you mentioned Boston being definitely in the top three of teams. Mm-hmm. We talked a little bit about just where we rank teams before we started this podcast. Me and you seem to be on the same page that we still consider Rockets Warriors the top two teams until proven otherwise. Mm-hmm. So do you think the Rockets got better or worse this year? I think they definitely got worse. Losing Ariza to the Suns. Ariza was really key in their defensive strategy as well. He as well as he can hit the three. And then they picked up Melo to replace Ariza. Or it seems like that from the outside perspective. And I just, I'm not sure. You can look at OKC last year. I just don't know whether or not Melo helps your team. Yeah, I'm super, I'm super low on the Melo deal. Yeah. And then um, you also lost Luka Mbamute to the Clippers. And although it's not as big as the Clippers, or it's not as big as the Ariza loss, it's a really big deal. He was he was really key to the way that they played, defense especially. And with that team, what you have is you have two stars offensively, and then you have the rest of your guys surrounding Clint Capella and then just locking down. That's basically what you do. You lock down on defense and then just fly on the offense, fly shooting threes and such. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how losing Ariza and Mbata Mute hurts that team. I agree. And it's funny because, you know, last season, Houston definitely made the switching defense extremely popular, especially when mm-hmm. in their series with the Warriors, where all that sort of KD drama started. But it's funny because now in a, on a team that wanted to switch everything, I feel like if you have Melo, you don't want to switch him on to anybody. No, you want to hide him. Yeah, exactly. He's a constant matchup problem. Mm-hmm. So I, I looked this up a little bit earlier, a couple of days ago, but with Ariza on the court in the playoffs, the Rockets' opponents were 11.6 points worse per possession. With the Thunder, with Melo on the court in the playoffs, the Jazz were 13.6 points per possession better. So that's almost that's like a 25-point swing. Mm-hmm. Granted, it's not the same team, so maybe you're comparing apples to oranges, but it still stands. I mean, the Thunder were were so much worse on defense with Melo. He got picked on constantly in that Jazz series to the point that he wasn't even playing in clutch minutes anymore. Yeah, I think also, though, the Rockets have P.J. Tucker, and P.J. Tucker is one of the best defensive players in the league. He's an extremely strange player in the sense that he's not tall, but he can play the five. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah. He's just huge. He's really strong. He's willing to go and just body bigger guys. And so I think they might be okay, but I really don't like this mellow move. I think and the thing I hear a lot of people talk about is the fact that, you know, it's a different system than the Thunder, mm-hmm. you know, where the Thunder were giving exactly the same amount of shots to Russ, PG, and Mello. Mm-hmm. And this, this type of offense in the Rockets is definitely going to be so CP3 and Harden heavy mm-hmm. that it's not going to be that same equality. And a lot of people are talking about that Mello could potentially be a great like second unit isolation player and be the guy that they can use so they don't have to stagger Harden and CP3 so much. But I think in that kind of relationship, it's more enabling than it is a good fit. I mean, I don't know if I ever want Mello isoing as much as he wants to iso anymore. I really, I do subscribe to the idea that Olympic Mello is out there somewhere and he can be a great spot up shooter slash a guy that can come off a pick for a nice mid-range shot. I just don't I don't want to see Melo jab stepping for 14 seconds anymore. <laughs> yeah. I think I would I wouldn't hate to see um him attack secondary units. However, I don't know if he's willing to do that. 
Yeah, that too. He he said that he's more willing to do that when he got to the Rockets, but like, meh. He can say what he wants. I'll I'll believe it when I see it. However, I do think that Mike D'Antoni is one of the best coaches in the league, and it's gonna be it's gonna be good to see Melo with Mike and see what he can do with him. For sure. I and you know it's going to be a totally different team than that Knicks team that oh, yeah. they were on the same yeah. together, but Definitely. yeah, because D'Antoni just has way more leverage now. I mean, back then Melo was still the superstar that he's you know still perceived to be. Yeah, it's only really in like the last two two years, three years that Melo's started to drop off in production. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in thirteen fourteen, I think it was he led the league in scoring. Yeah. So I mean, he's still. He, he has it in him to still be that top-tier player even at his age. Yeah. It's just that that Thunder season really soured him for me. Yeah, definitely. Are there any un- over-unders that you want to talk about? Yeah, so we talked a little bit about this before, and we haven't gotten any questions to our email yet, but if people listen and they hear this, I hope we'll get some. I am taking the under on the Lakers at 48.5. And I know you don't bet against LeBron, LeBron, even though he's going to be 34, aged is not is just a number to him. I get that. I get all of that. I really do, and it hurts me to say it because I love Bron. He's, in my opinion, he's you know greatest player of all time. You can make the argument it's between him and Jordan easily. Mm-hmm. But last season, the Lakers won 35 games, and I think it's less of a question of does LeBron take this team to the playoffs and more of a question of does LeBron by himself add 14 wins to this Lakers team? And I just don't know if he does. I I think while you can say all the things about deterioration does not happen to LeBron and he had one of his best seasons of all time last year, the logic would say that when you're turning 34, some drop-off is going to happen, right? And I just think the talent on the team doesn't necessarily fit super well with him. I think Brennan Ingram would work more as a sort of LeBron light rather than someone who's going to necessarily work alongside LeBron super well. I mean, even Walton had him playing point guard occasionally. Uh, Lonzo Ball isn't the greatest shooter. Michael Beasley gets tunnel vision. Rondo can't shoot from outside. And, you know, conventional logic says that when you get LeBron, you surround him with shooters and bigs who can rebound. So I don't know. I'm I'm just taking the under on that. Yeah, see, I just have a suspicion that LeBron's going to go absolutely crazy this season. And just, I think he's going to go try and get another MVP. Because I think all these guys that they've, that they signed, they're all one-year deals. So they're not there for the yeah. long term. It's like a trial. Yeah. I think this whole team is going to be based around LeBron going absolutely crazy every night. And I could see him wanting to do that. I mean, he's going to be, he's getting older. He wants to get another MVP. And I think this is his best opportunity to do that in a while. Because obviously he doesn't have any huge stars around him. So I, I agree. I, I really do think it's either LeBron wins the MVP and the Lakers are in the playoffs or LeBron does not win the MVP and they go under 47 wins with, or under 48 wins, which if they if this was last year and they only won 47 wins, they wouldn't have made the playoffs. That's crazy to me. It's hard for me to say that LeBron's going to miss the playoffs. It's just he's playing in the West too. I don't know. I mean, the Cavs only won 47 games, right? No, 50 they won last, last yes. season. But it was close. Yeah. <laughs> like, so I don't know. I just – it's really hard for me to say that LeBron is going to make this team 14 wins better. I don't know what to say. I just believe that LeBron will do what it takes. 
and that's a take that makes a ton of sense to me. Yeah. I, like I understand that I just, so much, but he hasn't shown me that he's he's losing it yet. Yeah, he he's not shown it to me yet, and so I'm gonna bet on him every time. All signs point to LeBron proving me so incredibly wrong, but I I don't know. It just it's a feeling I have, and I feel like if there was any other player but LeBron, I would not believe that. And yes, LeBron deserves all the special treatment and all the special perception in the world, but it's tough for me to think that he's really going to make all this misfit talent. There's been so much made about how weird the Lakers offseason has been. You know, JaVale McGee is going to be playing starting center for that. See, probably. I actually like that I, because because okay. um, as we were talking, I don't know if this was before you became a contributor, but we were talking a while ago about how LeBron has never really played with an elite rim protector and i'm not saying javel mcgee is an elite rim protector but what i'm saying is he's a lot better than tristan he's better than tristan he's better than chris anderson yeah, yeah. like at least when chris anderson was playing on the yeah heat. i i really do like that because i think it allows lebron to lock down um onto his man more and not worry about having to do crazy off-ball blocks and such yeah it'll be really interesting to see i mean I don't know. I this is a very recent thing I started thinking about just as I keep seeing these like the over under come up and then I was thinking about just how tough the West is and I mean all the respect in the world for LeBron. Like I said, he's he's my number one all time. It's just it's just tough for me to see it. It's really, really tough. I, I really do hope he proves me wrong, you know, for sure. I that's the best case scenario is that LeBron wins his M, this MVP and really does carry the Lakers into the playoffs and you know, has a good showing. I it was, I think it would be amazing if he got to the conference finals and had a uh, had a duel with the Warriors there. Like that would just be the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. See, I just have a lot of trust. Like for me right now, the MVP is between a healthy Kawhi and LeBron. If Kawhi's healthy, okay. I could see that Raptors team being a really good team and him just going crazy for them, being an absolutely demon defensively. And then getting more opportunity to run the ball himself and not have to worry about the Spurs system as much. He showed that he can be a playmaker and he's a great player on the ball. And so I think the Raptors are going to take advantage of that. We saw what they did with DeRozan giving him the ball and letting him run the offense. So, yeah, I really like that. Those two together. For sure. And and we can definitely talk about uh, like way too early MVP picks. I think yeah. and that's a great segue into it. Mm-hmm. My so, like I said, for me, it's either the Lakers don't get the under and LeBron doesn't win the MVP, or they get the over and he does. Mm-hmm. But my second choice for MVP is Anthony Davis. Okay, decently for the same reasons that you kind of have Kawhi, where he's just going to take over that team, and as long as he's healthy, he's going to have you know just a ton of opportunity to get tons of buckets. He's not playing alongside Demarcus Cousins anymore, so there's less less of a need to share the ball with him. He knows how he works with Nikola Miritich. Mm-hmm. It's going to be another year with him. Drew Holiday, if Drew Holiday's healthy, that team runs so well. And um, I'm a fan of Alfred Payton's. Uh, I know not a lot of people a are, but I, I like... Yeah, there was a discussion about that three days ago in the group <laughs> chat. And Doug got roasted a little bit for his takes on Alfred Payton. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I just Elver Payton is not going to help AD make the make the MVP. I just wanted to mention him, give a little <laughs> shout out to my dude. But yeah, I just think I think AD's got a really, really good shot at it. And, you know, he's really 
just entering his prime now. I think he's going to be 27 next year. And he's really kind of been dominating the league ever since he came in. And I think it's only time that he sort of really emerges as a top five, top four, maybe even top three player in the league next next season. Yeah, I think that could definitely be the case. I just don't know if that team wins enough games for them to be, for him to be in the conversation. Obviously, see what I think the MVP, as I think of it, is like weak stretches. So there's there was a few weeks at the start of the year last year where people were like, "Oh, Boogie Cousins is the MVP." <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> like that man was putting up numbers. <laughs> Do you remember Kyrie was like the number one MVP because the Celtics were like thirty and eleven or something, and everybody was yeah. all about Kyrie. yeah. And then like the first two weeks. There was that part where everyone was like, oh, Giannis is running away with the MVP. For sure. And so I think of it as stretches. And I could definitely see there being significant portions of the the league calendar where I highlight that as an Anthony Davis week. Sure. And basically how I do it is I just kind of look at the league and I think, how many weeks has that guy won? And I think it's a really interesting way to look at the MVP race. Because it kind of, it goes with it. So like the Westbrook year where he put up the triple-double and won the MVP, not this last year where he put up a triple-double. But there were just so many days where I would turn on Sports Center at night and they would be talking about Westbrook did it again. He put up a 35-point triple-double or whatever it was. And I was like, he did it again. How is this man still going? <laughs> yeah. And so I think it's, the MVP is the person who just, confounds the league nobody knows how to defend the guy and he just absolutely takes over the um the news cycle i I think that's actually a really smart way of looking at it that's something i think not as not in as of a specific and intelligent way that you've looked at it Mm -hmm. but i might start doing that but that's something that i've considered just because the MVP race is so interpretable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even Rachel Nichols has like said that we need a best player award and an MVP award. Oh, I totally agree. I do too. Or at least there needs to be some sort of guidelines for it just because I, I although I do think the conversation about it is fun because it is so interpretable. Mm-hmm. But I just going back to what you were saying about looking at weeks that players have won, basically you're looking at you know, how many times have they won the narrative of best player in the league this season? And even though, you know, last season, I would still say LeBron is the best player in the league. He didn't win as many weeks. Thus, he wasn't considered on ESPN and, you know, Sports Illustrated and, you know, just major media network sites that he he wasn't in them as much. He wasn't dominating the league as much. And then I think the the casual fans, even hardcore fans and the media aren't necessarily thinking about them as much. And I think the MVP race really kind of goes down to who did you think about the most as dominating the league? I don't necessarily have a problem with Russell Westbrook winning that MVP, even though I don't think he was the best player in the league that year. Mm -hmm. But just because I think it does kind of do a good job of solidifying the historical interpretations of the NBA when you look back. You know, I think I think it's going to be cool to look back, you know, 20, 30 years from now and see that Westbrook won that MVP and remember that this is the first time a player got a triple double in so long and look how much everyone overreacted about it but you know i I think i think it will be kind of a cool little historical exercise to see just how crazy everyone went over it yeah and i think also um historically if we were to look back in 30 40 years and look at the statistics and see that westbrook did average a triple double and then click onto his basketball reference page in 30 years um (laughs) that he didn't win the mvp i think there would be a lot of people majorly confused 
<laughs> be like huh somebody else put up numbers and so i think historical just generally that makes a lot of sense you you mentioned um on a previous pod that you thought Embiid had a decent shot of winning the mvp yes i really do think he does i think he's a dark horse but he's going to be a really good player this year if they can put it all together Embiid stays healthy when he's on the floor he is one of the most dominant players i have ever watched in the nba defensively he is crazy nobody goes anywhere near the rim and then offensively there's just very short number of people who can actually reasonably defend him in the post let alone in the mid-range and then he'll just pull you out to three pull a move on you and hit a three so he's definitely on the list um however i do think it's down to Kawhi and lebron Interesting. Yeah, I, I'm surprised that neither of us have really talked about Giannis. Mm-hmm. I, I would pick Giannis over Kawhi, but I've just got Anthony Davis over both of them. And then I've got LeBron as my top pick, mm-hmm. even with my Lakers take, just because I hope he proves me wrong. Yeah. So I know that's kind of hypocritical. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. I like Giannis for the award too. I still think he's a year or two out of being the player that everybody wants him to be already. I think there's sort of a lot of um, just excitement over Giannis mm-hmm. of what he's going to be. And I think people want him to already be that. So definitely having coach Budenholzer is going to be a huge plus for him <laughs> yeah. to not have Jason Kidd anymore. Mm-hmm. I kind of also think that even though Jabari Parker didn't play a ton this past season, I think Jabari Parker, in terms of Giannis's ability to win the MVP, is addition by subtraction. Mm-hmm. And I think it's another year working with a with a newer team that's going to be better built around him. So I, I can definitely see him putting up some big numbers. And like you said, he's definitely going to win a couple of weeks. But is he going to win enough weeks to necessarily get a ton of first place votes? I don't think so. He's definitely going to get a couple, I think, but not enough to win it. Yeah. I kind of view the Bucks and the Pelicans in the same sense. They both have unbelievably excellent talent in Anthony Davis and Giannis. For sure. Players around them, they're good. They just don't necessarily fit well. The Pelicans are better than the Bucks in the surrounding cast, but they're still not. It's been the issue for a few years now. It, it would be a big stretch to consider... Anthony Davis, Drew Holiday, and Miritich, a big three. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they've got the big two and AD and Alfred Payton, but you need a third. <laughs> and, uh, Giannis with, I mean, Eric Bledsoe kind of got exposed in the playoffs this past year. So I, I think he's not as good as people thought he was when he was in Phoenix either. But mm-hmm. it'll be interesting. It'll be super interesting in the MVP race, just because there's so many different working parts in it. I would be happy saying that the top three for MVP would be LeBron, AD and Kawhi. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's in that order. And I think for you, it's switched with Kawhi and AD, right? Yeah. And then I also think Harden is kind of on an island by himself. I think there could be some voter fatigue there. He's been in the conversation for the last like three or four years now. Obviously, we've seen it with LeBron. Obviously, LeBron has been in the league for way longer than, or been in this conversation for way longer than Harden. But I could still see the same situation going on. I mean, if Harden puts up the same kind of numbers he did last year, I don't know if he wins it again. Yeah, I'm so glad he finally won it because he really did deserve it for a while. He does deserve it, but I just don't know if he's going to win it again if he puts up the exact same numbers he did last year. I agree. I I don't think there's enough 
And because, I mean, I definitely think the MVP race is mostly a narrative race. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's a narrative race between, you know, the top seven best players in the league, but it is a narrative race. And Harden really doesn't have the narrative. And the unfortunately, the pick comes before the playoffs end. So if, if, they, if he were to get past the Warriors in the playoffs, I think easily Harden's the MVP. But unfortunately, we've even seen that, you know, even when they get to the number one seed, it's still a big conversation over whether or not Harden should be the MVP and all of that. So it's going to be really tough. Yeah, and I think also if somehow the Rockets figure it out and they show that they're significantly better in the regular season than the Warriors are, then that's a different conversation. And I think Harden wins it immediately. But if that doesn't happen, I think it could be Kawhi or LeBron. I, uh, I, 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 I got to say, AD is over Kawhi for me. But yeah, I, I can definitely see Kawhi making a push especially on a toronto team that's going to need him to make that push yeah definitely and this is all relative to whether or not Kawhi is healthy and whether or not Kawhi wants to be the player that he can be for sure and it's crazy that there's even questions around that and yeah it, it sucks you know mm-hmm. but we won't know until we see it and especially just with the kind of things that are coming out about him you know wanting to miss training camp and stuff like that i don't think those rumors are super founded but We'll, we'll definitely see the kind of player Kawhi is in the very near future. Yeah, definitely. So do you want to wrap it up now? Yeah, for sure. I guess that's all we really got for you. Glad you're sticking with us through the dog days of the NBA. If you want to send in questions, if you want to tell me that you agree, Alfred Payton truly is uh, one of the best point guards in this league, um, which I don't actually think that. <laughs> <laughs> but... Definitely send us a message, or if you want to yell at me about my LeBron take, do that too. You can send us messages to kjgpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's kjgpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can always slip into mine and Joe's DMs. Mine is at NBA Analyst Doug, and Joe's is J Brett NBA. And yeah, we hope you guys join us next week, or maybe even a little bit later because Joe is going to Ecuador, so we'll figure out when we can get the next pod up and everything, but It'll be soon for sure. Yeah, definitely. I might not be on it, but I'll be there in a few weeks. Yeah, definitely. So we'll, we'll keep hanging in there and uh, can't wait for the NBA season to start. So we will see you guys next time. 